This is KMTT. Today, on Mondays, we have a shear of Harav Binyamin Tavori, who this year will be examining different responses, Shalotu Tshuvot, from the major ones from the 18th and 19th century. Harav Tavori. Today we will continue with the tshuvas of Rabbeinu Yaakov Emdin. Rabbeinu Yaakov Emdin, of course, the son of Chacham Tzvi, known as Yavetz, Yaakov Emdin ben Tzvi, and the name of the Sefer is She'elas Yavetz, tshuvas of Rabbi Yaakov Emdin. In one of the tshuvas that have, in our generation has been a major topic of concern in a certain uh, world is a tshuva where Rabbi Yaakov Emden discusses reading newspapers on Shabbos. In the index, they use the word gazettes. In the tshuva itself, he talks about kurntin. I'm not sure what that word means, but apparently it refers to the latest news, which is printed in the big cities weekly. And they tell people the news, what's going on, especially at the time there was a war going on. And Rabbi Yaakov Emden's reply is, obviously, this is mutter. This is not at all included in the concept of shtare hidyotos, of business, because these are important for people to know. Of course, especially in time of war, when there's uh, a reason that it could come eventually even to a in Yanei Fashot, but even if there is a monetary loss it seems to me that it's certainly permitted to read this these newspapers and it's better certainly easier than reading the war stories that they talked in the earlier Chuvos, they talked about people who have Onik Shabbos by reading these type of books, he says this is certainly permitted there's a need, and there's also Onik Shabbos. Therefore, it seems to me it's a Hatter Gomer. But there is one reason that he has a reason to suggest that perhaps it should be Yasser. And that's because of the advertisements. There are a lot of uh, ads, of course, in the newspapers about land, about uh, things being sold, Business, that, he said, would be usher to read on Shabbos. Even to think about business would be on Shabbos. But not even if you say that you're allowed to think about your business, not by reading it. You shouldn't deal too much with your own personal finances on Shabbos. And therefore, we should be careful not to use those newspapers because uh, staying away from something that might be problematic. Now, interestingly enough, in our generation, and earlier generations, the question of reading newspapers came up, and we've heard stories about Gedolim that pushed newspapers off the table. They didn't want them at all to be seen. Other people picked them up and read them. But if you say that the reason that you're not allowed to read these newspapers are because of the advertisements then one should really think today about everything that we read on Shabbos, including the various alunim that come out on Shabbat in the shuls. 
those that have advertisements, if it's just a shul bulletin where there's a um, an announcements in a Dvar Torah, that certainly would not be uh, problematic. But in Israel, we have many, many alunim that have all kinds of advertisements for, for, for trips, for uh, ocean cruises, for uh, radiators, for who knows what. Land, renting, selling, buying. According to this, it might be per- permitted, per- prohibited to even read the Alon Shabbat. Of course, uh, this question has been raised and discussed, and I obviously don't mean to uh, imply any halachic decision on this part. I just mentioned that according to the Tshuva, Rabbi Yaakov Emden, reading newspapers should be mutter on Shabbos, except for the problem of the advertisements. But when, it, when there are no ads, then it should be mutter, and then on the other hand, if there are ads in any type of journal, it should be prohibited. Another tshuva that is rather uh, curious, and many people have discussed in different contexts, was a tshuva in Chelek Beis, Simen Kuf Ayin Zayin, where Rabbi Yaakov Emden discusses if a woman who is married to a Kohen is pregnant, can she go to a cemetery, or to an Ohel Ames? Now, it's well known that the Sefer Rokeach said that a pregnant Mrs. Cohn, who's pregnant, is allowed to go into a cemetery or Ohelames because he says it's a fake sveka. There's a double doubt here. Perhaps the embryo is a boy, perhaps it's a girl. And even if it's a boy, not all embryos reach full term. And therefore, it's a suffix zachar, suffix nekeva, suffix chai, suffix meis, suffix nefel, and therefore, it would be permitted. But other people have quoted that you're not allowed to, uh, Mrs. Preg- Mrs. Cohen, who's pregnant, is not allowed to go. The, there's a discussion about this in the Shach. And they say you don't even need a fake sveka because this is called Tuma Blua, a a tumor that's completely swallowed. The embryo is inside the body of the mother. So the embryo doesn't become tummy at all. So it should be mutter. The question, of course, was then, why did the rokeach have to deal with a fake sveka? Why didn't he just say that tumor blua, a swallowed tumor, is not metame? So the Rabbi Yaakov Emden mentions that the Rokeach obviously thought that such a the embryo could become tummy. And he explained why. And he discussed the different stages of the pregnancy. And perhaps at one point the child um, somehow reached Avir Ha'olam, and if in the later stages of pregnancy. And therefore, he discussed, in such a case, you would really require a sveik sveika to be metame, to be, to be matir. But in the earlier stages of pregnancy, he agreed that there shouldn't be a problem at all. Tuma blua would not be metame. This question, of course, is an interesting question. And Rav Herschel Schechter, in his Sefer, Bikvei quotes the Shach, quotes the Rukayach. He doesn't mention... I think, I don't see that he mentions Rabbi Yaakov Emden. 
But he said that he, Rav Shechter quoted the tshuva of the Achiezer and mentioned that Rebbe Hanan agreed to this, that there is an Isur not just in being metame, a Kohen. There's an Isur that he calls Hiskarvus Lemes. The approach to a dead person, an OLMAs, even if for some reason that person, that coin, would not become Tameh, it itself would be Yasser. And therefore, you need a reason of Sveik Sveika to be Matir. And in that case, as the Rabbi Yaakov Emden pointed out, there is a reason to be Machmir. If you would just say the reason is only because of Tuma Blua is not Metameh, then what's the point of avoiding this issue? There's no tum at all. If you hold it's because of a sveik sveika, so it's true there is a sveik sveika, but nevertheless, you might be wrong. The, uh, today, the percentages of miscarriage, I don't know what they are, but they're rather small, I think, and the suffix zacha, suffix nikeva is more or less even odds. So therefore, you would, you would say that if a person wants to be machmir, he should be able to be machmir. It should be a good idea. There is a custom today, in general, many women think, I don't know where it came from exactly, that pregnant women don't go to a cemetery at all. Even in cases of family loss, I've known many people who say that a pregnant woman doesn't go to a cemetery. The halachic uh, and reply, of course, is that a pregnant woman may go to a cemetery. The question of Eishas Kohen, as I put it here before, would be, uh, is permitted because of the Sveik Sveika. Now, of course, one of the practical differences would be today when we have a test to check whether the embryo is indeed Zachar or Nekeva. And if we would know that the child is a Zachar, then the Sveik Sveika falls off. And in that case, even the Rokeach would seem to be, say that it's Aser Alpidin. One of the most famous tshuvos in the in the entire volume of the Shailus Yavitz is a famous tshuva about autopsies. What's interesting a little bit is not just the discussion, which in a sense, by the way, is one of the longest tshuvas I've seen in the Sefer. It's quite a long tshuva. But the personal notes of the tshuva are also very interesting. The tshuva was written to a certain person who wrote also a rather lengthy letter for a she'ela, where he his name is given in the, in the question as Binyamin Wolf Ginsburg. Now, interestingly enough, today we know who this Binyamin Wolf Ginsburg is. He was a student in, in university studying medicine. And as a matter of fact, he later on wrote a treatise which is still extant about medicine in the Gemara. The question involved was studying medicine especially because they had to study anatomy. And sometimes, on Shabbos, they would perform an autopsy on a dog, or if they had no cadaver. The cadaver, very often, was a non-Jew. They had special knives that they used to cut 
the body. And Rav, this fellow, Binyamin Wolf Ginsburg, had a whole halachic discussion to raise whether there's a problem of muktzah involved. Muktzah could be obviously in two areas. The, the knife might be muktzah, the body might be muktzah. He also raised the issue of cutting, of mechatech, when you want precise slices, cut precisely. That might be a problem of, of mechatech. He also raised the issue of blood that's created by cutting, by doing an autopsy. Of course, it seems to be the uh, tshuva, the question was asked, basically to hope for a, a, a kula. Rabbi Yaakov Emden answered this question, as I said, from the city of Altoona, in a rather lengthy tshuva. His first point was that the hefshet and the tuach, the fact that they cut precisely, the fact that they actually remove the skin, is an isidaraisa. And he thought that a person who does this, this can be, the tshuva should be answered succinctly, that someone who does it on Shabbos is chayef tuchatos, at least one. If, writes Rabbi Yaakov Emden to this Binyamin Wolf Ginsburg, if you've already done such a thing, you should write in your notebook that you'll bring a chatas shmeina when the Beis Hamikdash will be built. You remember the Gemara in Shabbos about the person, according to one version of the story, the person who actually read by candlelight and adjusted the candle on Shabbos, that they said, he said that since I did something like this, I will write in my notebook that I'll bring a chatas shmeina. Rabbi Yaakov Emden said, and why here in this case, why do I say specifically a chatas shmeina, a, a good chatas? Because not only are there isur daraisis involved, there's isur rabbanan. There are many problems with what you're doing, and therefore the, what I've said already is enough to stop it and to be machmer completely. Then he goes step by step to discuss each individual problem that exists. One of them is the problem of muksa, of the knife. Now, the question, of course, what isur is the knife? Rabbi Yaakov Emden suggests that the isur is muksa machmas isur. It's a knife that's used basically for things that are prohibited, and therefore it might be muksa, but you can use it l'tzorach gufa, l'tzorach makama. Today, we would discuss if a scalpel is actually a klisha nachto isur. Is that the reason it's muktzah? Perhaps it's muktzah, machmas chisaron kis, something that's put away and kept specially because it's rather expensive. Would that be considered muktzah, machmas chisaron kis? And in, in such a case, it would be usher to use even l'tzorach gufa, l'tzorach makamo. An interesting story happened to me Many, many years ago, I went to San Diego for Shabbos. In that time, at that time, the San Diego Orthodox community was just becoming a, somewhat of a community. They did not have an Orthodox shul, but there were enough people that joined together to make a minion. In fact, they used to 
to ensure that they brought had a minion for Shabbos, they used to call Yeshiva Bachrim from Los Angeles, and some boys used to go down to San Diego for the weekend and to make sure they had a minion for Shabbos. The minion was held in a doctor's office. One of the people there was a doctor who was Orthodox, and he wanted the minion very much, and he opened his office for the for the minion. This Shabbos, Rabbi Schwab, the famous Rav Shimon Schwab, who was the Rav of, in, in the Breuer Shul in Washington Heights, was there for Shabbos as his son was, lived in San Diego, became the principal there of the local uh, Beis Yaakov, I think it was, or the local Jewish school. At the end of davening, they had a kiddush. They needed to cut the, the cake, and they realized they had no cake. They had no knife. They had a cake, but they had no knife. But the doctor said, of course, he has a scalpel in the office. And the question was, could a scalpel be used for cutting a cake? If it's a kli shemnachtol iser, then you could use it. If it's a kli kis, then you couldn't use it. So Rav Schwab pointed out that today, the, the, when we ask the doctor, the scalpel actually is a disposable scalpel. It's not that they use one scalpel over and over again. At that time, at least, in his, in his office, he was using a special knife, but it was disposable. Rabbi Schwab Paskin, if I remember correctly, that anything that's disposable cannot be considered Mutzemach Maschisar and Kis. And therefore, he felt it would be a Klisham Nachtotlis and a Klisham Bimutter. Rabbi Yaakov Emden goes on to discuss uh, whether the non Jew is Muktza, whether the non Jew would be Asur he discusses the issues of Tuma involved. Many, many issues are raised in this long tshuva. But what was interesting, particularly to me, was at the end of the tshuva, he has a whole discussion addressed particularly to this Rabbi, to this Benjamin Wolf Ginsburg. Eventually, I said he became Dr. Ginsburg, who wrote a sefer, wrote a book on Talmudic medicine. He told him that you really shouldn't have left a place of Torah to go to university and uh, study the Erechachma. He says, Mi yitir lecha laniach mekamot sheyesh vem kilak dosham Yisrael v'liyot golesh alala mekam Torah. Who gave you a permis- permission to leave a Jewish kila to go to a place where there's no kila? And then at the end, he has a discussion in general about studying uh, secular subjects. He doesn't refer specifically to medicine. He talks about general stu- subjects here. But he says, it, it is not fitting and proper for this person to leave the base Medrash, the world of Torah, and go to the university. I don't know if this is a personal uh, point that he knew this Binyamin Valf Ginsburg, perhaps he thought he could become a big Tamit Chacham, but it's just interesting that although Rabbi Yaakov Emden was, no, was known for having a positive attitude towards secular subjects, here in this particular tshuva he seemingly discouraged uh, the uh, this Rabbi this Dr. Ginsburg from studying in university and specifically from doing the autopsies on Shabbos. One of the tshuvas that anybody who discusses Rabbi Yaakov Emden can simply not ig- ignore was the tshuva in Chelek Beis Simon Simon Tesvav, where he discusses the issue of Pilegish. The tshuva came up actually in the, sh- in the question before, where he discussed 
a way, perhaps, of avoiding a problem of Yibum, of making it nai, etc., etc. He there mentioned the issue of Pilegesh. Since he mentioned the issue of Pilegesh, he went on to, in Tshuva Tesvav to discuss his whole attitude. To summarize this also lengthy Tshuva, I'm going to use a summary that was found in a book by Rav Elyakim Ellenson. Rav Elyakim Ellenson, who was a Tamit Chacham, who taught in Barilan, wrote a book, Nisuin Shelokedat Moshev Yisrael, an improper form of Nisuin, and to see how the people reacted to these different impro- improper ways during the ages. He has a special section on the idea of a Pilegesh according to the radical approach of Rabbi Yaakov Emden. Rabbi Yaakov Emden basically said, a person who has a Pilegesh will not be tempted to do things that are prohibited. That's true in our time. But even if you think there's an Easter, and I won't go into all the basic opinions, but he says that according to the Rambam, there probably is an Easter, but we should find the Heter because of the great danger involved in prohibiting a Pilegesh. Since there are many people who are attracted and involved in Isurim connected with Arias, and that was true in his time, so he said, if the Heter for Pilegesh would be permitted, they wouldn't have done worse sins. Therefore, Rabbi Yaakov Emden suggests that we should make public announcements that mutar ha'adam bepilegesh, in order to prevent worse averus. He also says, the idea of the chaim of the Rabbeinu Gershom, besides saying that it basically expired, doesn't uh, apply, but he said, the idea of forbidding two wives should really be yasser, because that would be a concept of the b'chuk that would be a learning from the non-Jews, I wish that this takana had never been made. He said, even with the takana, I don't think the takana prohibited Pilegesh, it prohibited another wife. It's not something that was ever made usur b'minyan, and therefore you don't need a minion to be matirit. On the other hand, Rabbi Yaakov Emden, at the end, tones the down the strength of his tshuva. And he says, even though I think I'm right, and I'm willing to uh, go a long way to prove my point, but nobody should rely on this unless the Gedoli Hador agree. Someone who wants to follow my advice, he should not do it unless he consults the local Rav that he should make he should explain a heter without any problems, etc., etc. The Rev. Ellenson, in his sefer, pointed out that the communities never adopted the opinion of Rabbi Yaakov Emden. And interestingly enough, he says the tshuva did not involve, did not even create a major d- discussion. Someone, somehow you would expect this is a, an issue. Wow, people would go and write back and forth. Rev. Ellenson, who I assume studied the period and studied the chuvas of the time, said it did not make 
it was a, a serious impression, and people didn't apparently didn't take it seriously. Nobody took. Rabbi Yaakov Emden's uh, authority as much as they would have taken authority of Rishonim. But he says, there were some communities, especially the Sephardi communities, where they had special occasion or special reasons to Imatir Pilagish. Of course, recently in Israel, in one of the uh, Alonai Shabbat, they had some sort of an advertisement uh, suggesting also such an approach of marrying two wives, perhaps of having a Pilagish, there, already in today's generation, it started a furor immediately. People wrote back. In fact, the editor of the Alon, or the uh, people in charge of the Alon, uh, actually uh, com- wrote that they apologized, they were sorry they printed it, and uh, it, uh, a certain, certain discussion ensued. In the newspapers I saw, for example, in Makar Rishon, people wrote against it. But apparently in our generation, publicity is so great that it did engender a greater debate than at the time of Rabbi Yaakov Emden. As I point out again, the truth of Rabbi Yaakov Emden is quite well known, it's quite famous, but apparently, as Rav Ellenson put it, it wasn't taken that seriously in his time. One of the Chuvas also that I found interesting because of today's practice, is a tshuva found in the first volume, in Chelek Aleph, Simen Kufnun Hei. The question that he discusses there was that at a Pidyan Aben, very often the Kohanim who received money for Pidyan Aben returned the money. There's a tshuva of the Chassam Sofer who felt that it was not a good idea for the Kohanim to return the money. The Gemara has a concept of a Kohen Hamasayabavesagranos, a Kohen who helps out someone, looks as if he's doing favors to Israel because he wants to receive the Matnos Kuhuna, that he should be the Kohen designated to receive Matnos Kuhuna. And that's called a Kohen Hamasayabavesagranos, and that should not, should not be done. So the Chassam Sofer actually raised an issue. Perhaps it not, it's not a good idea for the Kohen to receive the money, because he looks like a coin of Sebesagranos. Other people have discussed the issue of returning the money, because they want to make sure that the coin accepted the money, and it was completely his, until he afterwards gave it as a present. It's not just that he gave him uh, money as a ki'ilu, as a loan, or as a tekes, which is going to be returned. But, Rabbi Yaakov Emden, on the other hand, says that it's a good idea to return the money, and I think you should do it. Even though some people said the Kohen should not do it as a rule, that's referring to a Kohen miyuchas, to a Kohen who has a, a real letter of Yichus that he can trace his kuna back to Aaron Kohen. But today, almost all cases, we have what we call Kohen Chazaka. We have a Kohen that there's the, the family tree goes back some generations but doesn't go back all the way to Aaron Kohen. And those are called Kohanei Chazaka. So he says, we are Machmir, and we use these Kohanei Chazaka as Kohanim, and we have the Dinim that apply to, <coughs> Kohanim apply to them, and we do Pidyin Aben with them. <coughs> Nevertheless, in Dinim Amonos, he says there might be a Chashash of Gzela, and therefore, it might be better to return the money. Every Kohen should think 
perhaps there's a problem of gzela, and maybe you should give it back. You might argue that the uh, the Yisrael who was pulled there, the who was pulled there, son with his kohen was certainly mochel, but he said he thinks that the kohen here is a kohen. If it's a mistake, perhaps it really is a type of gazela, and therefore he should return the money. He also says. Therefore, today, even the son of a Kohenes or Levia, we should do Pidyon Aben Misafek. Today, it's all a Sveka Daraisa. Since it's a Sveka Daraisa, we should be Machmir as much as we possibly can. He does say that the son of a Kohen need not be Pode, because I'm, a, I'm afraid. If they're Pode him, people will think he's not a Kohen. And therefore, perhaps he'll marry a Grusha. Perhaps he'll be mitami lemes. So therefore, it's a better idea not to be meta- not to be pod to the son of a kohen, but the son of a kohenes. He felt there you should be pod to him. Misafik. Legends are told of great rabbanim, of great gedolim, who actually were choshesh for kohenei chazaka, and they were pod to themselves more than once. They felt uh, perhaps this is a coin, perhaps he's a coin, perhaps he's a coin, and they opposed to themselves many times. The din of Kohanei uh, Chazaka, of course, is a wide topic to be studied under many, many chuvos of, of, of the Achronim. The last chuva I'll mention very briefly is a chuva in Chalik Beis about the kavod required to. A, for an Ashes Chavir, the wife of a Tamit Chacham. On one hand, we have a statement that Ashes Chavir Harei Chavir. And therefore, we should treat her with the respect that we would treat a Tamit Chacham. And Rabbi Yaakov Emden says, at first blush, this is a Gemara in Shvuis. The Gemara says in Shvuis that the wife of a Tamit Chacham had a din. She went to court. And the judge said, I don't know what to do. If I stand up for her, the other person will feel that I'm favoring her. And therefore, he'll be afraid that she'll win the case. If I don't stand, So it seems clear that the halacha is Rabbi Yaakov Emden goes on to discuss this point and says perhaps there's only a chumrah to stand up for an especially when they go to court and there's an issue of really uh, causing uh, some sort of uh, fear in the eyes of the other litigant, perhaps it's not required alpidin, but it's a uh, good idea. He also tries to distinguish between the wife of Yorab, the wife of the Tamid Chacham in general. In general, we accept the opinion, he says, that the bottom line is, Modina Be'eshes Chacham. I do say that Eishes Chacham, you do have to stand up for him, for her. Uh, this we generally assume Eishes Chaveri Kechaver. I remember when I was very a young student in Yeshiva University. One day, an older lady walked into the base medrash, and the uh, rabbanim uh, saw this old lady, and they all stood up. I, the, most of the students did not stand up, and I was wondering why they all stood up. Of course. 
there's a halacha that somehow we don't not we're not that meticulous about, and that is any old person you're supposed to stand up for. Mipnei means to stand up for any old person. The question, of course, what's old in today's world, in today's society, is a side question. But for a person who's really old, of course there's a mitzvah to stand up. But later on I inquired who this lady was, and it was the mother of Rav Yosef Dov Alevi Salavechik, the widow of Rav Moshe Salavechik. They stood up for her, apparently, perhaps they stood up for her because she was an old lady. My assumption is they stood up for her because Eishas Chaver, Hareiki Chaver, the wife of Atamit Chacham, the wife of Rav Moshe Salavechik. From there I also raised the issue of standing up for the wife of Atamit Chacham after the Tamid Chacham had passed away. This was already uh, close to 25 years after Rabbi Salavechik, Rabbi Moshe Salavechik had passed away. And nevertheless, I saw Tamid Chachamim stand up for his Rebetzin. Eishes Chaver, Harei Kechaver.